warm greetings to you, friends, family, and partners in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we're talking on the theme of kingdom leadership, and I would like us to kick off by reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Let's start it off from verse 31 to 33. Jesus is speaking on the parable of the kingdom using the mustard seed as an example. The Bible tells us that he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So the, the presupposition of the theme itself and the indication of Jesus' parable is that of a growing scale and scope of influence and permeation. In other words, Jesus looks at his kingdom as a kingdom that needs to permeate everything and continue to enlarge in scale and scope. It is therefore taken for granted in the context of our talk that we understand the scope of our leadership mandate and that when we train others or when we endeavor to lead others or when we upskill ourselves in, in, in leadership, this is intended to go beyond the confines of training people for local church service for the four walls, for actually binding people down and restricting them down to the needs of the local church, to make them duty-bound to what we assign them to do and restrict them from actually influencing the spheres in which God has put them. The understanding is that we need to produce people that are not just professional Sunday service workers who basically come to tick attendance. Rather, we should endeavor to see the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and Christ should reign. Granted, Christ will reign where his kingdom and his kingship is acknowledged and accepted. Nevertheless, it is our mandate to actually ensure that even where the kingdom is not accepted, we have made efforts to advance it. And that we need to lead and produce leaders that are aware of this permeative nature of the kingdom of Christ in every sphere of human existence, in economics, in politics, in the social strata, in personal life, in family, 
life in community and life at large. So I want us to pray that God will enlarge our hearts to embrace the scope and the scale of our mandate. And that when we have listened to the sessions, we are able to say, I enlarge my vision as God and enlarges my vision to go beyond the limitations of my current position, current circumstances, to see the nations of the world influenced through the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, the grace that is at work in us and through us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your leading. We thank you for gripping our hearts with a reality that there is a kingdom that we are part of, a kingdom whose God is a consuming fire, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that we are mandated to advance, that we represent and are ambassadors thereof. So as we listen to your word, help us to embrace the truth, thereby be enlivened by it and emboldened by it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So of the many and varied aspects of and angles of approaching this subject of, the, of kingdom leadership, I have chosen to concentrate on just four, namely identification, intention, expression, and ushering of this kingdom leadership. By identification, I am referring to what manner of leaders are kingdom leaders? What do they identify with? And what sets them apart from the rest as individuals and as a collective? I want to read from the book of Mark chapter 3 from verse 13 to 15 when Jesus called and, and, and designated the 12 apostles. The Bible tells us in Mark 3, 13, 15, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that, they might, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. When Jesus called the very first disciples in Matthew 4, verse 19, he says to them, Come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So at the point of their call, he says, I want you to identify with me as the molder of who you are going to become. He says, I will make you. So there is a sense in which a kingdom leader is identifying with the work of being molded by Christ. Therefore, it is not just a question of leaders are born or made. It is a question of leaders in the context of kingdom are molded into the will and the desire of Christ. So people should identify and subject themselves to that process. Next, he says, when he designates or when he calls those he want to designate, he says, number one, I want them to be with me. 
Speaking of presence, kingdom leaders must continually identify with the presence of Jesus Christ and ever-present person of Christ, the personage of the Holy Spirit should influence, should be our identification. Also, he says, he wants to send them out. There is a mission and a mandate. There has never been a time when people have to be set, when people have to have a very set mind around what they are about. People are, are sidelined. They start thinking, they stray. They think about preaching about what they stand against when there is a clear mandate of what we stand for. So. A kingdom leader must, for all intents and purposes, be clear in their mandate. And finally, Christ says they have to have authority. Paul was always clear in saying to the churches that the gospel that he preaches, the kind of leader he is, it's, 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 it's not just about eloquence. He's about authority. The demonstration of the kingdom of God. So the inability to identify with the call of Christ, its nature, his workings in and through our lives will short circuit and impede what God intends to do through us as kingdom leaders. Kingdom leadership is in a sense a secular approach to leadership. It's a to and fro type of leadership with one view to always come back to the one point, to Christ. Everything emanates from Christ and everything points back to Christ, his character, to conform to his nature, his likeness, his mission, to bring the lost to the, the kingdom and to manifest God's kingdom on earth. So, when we cannot identify fully, when we cannot centralize Christ as the source of kingdom leadership, we would fail in our endeavor to be effective kingdom leaders. The intention of kingdom leadership is pretty much tied to the identification of leaders. The intention is to produce Christ-like leaders and saints. To produce true worshipers. Why? Because John 4.23 tells us that such worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is seeking for such. So in our leadership, we cannot produce what God is not seeking. We need to produce true disciples. In John 8.31, listen to what Jesus says. says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. So by implication, there are those who follow but have not really embraced true discipleship. Jesus says, when we Train when we need people. We must lead them in a manner that if they were to follow us, they will not stray from Jesus, but they will hold on to his teachings. We must also lead with the intention to produce laborers in God's field. Matthew 9, 
37 to 38 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus was here on earth, the disciples were there, the twelve were there. But he made it clear that it was still not good enough just to have disciples. But we need to have workers in the kingdom. And even today, the need remains for kingdom leadership to deliberately intend to produce workers in the field. We need to also produce ministers of God's manifold grace and wisdom. When you read 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. God's grace in its various form is manifested through the priesthood of all believers. So it should be our intention to raise the priesthood, not only to raise them, but to release them. Ephesians 3.10 tells us, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We should also intend to produce or at least endeavor to do so a glorious bride for Christ and a valiant army. Paul speaking of part of his leadership intention. He says in 2 Corinthians 11.2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealous. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure vision to him. And in admonishing us on being soldiers, speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, Paul says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So we have that intention in our hearts to ensure that people are enlisted in the kingdom, not as spectators as it has become the case in our churches, but in the quest for purity as a bride, there is an equal emphasis on being soldiers. People whose hearts are surrendered to the ideal of living for Christ and dying for him. The next thing we need to ask is, so what is the expression of this leadership? in the individuals who are kingdom leaders and in the people that are produced by this kingdom leadership. So kingdom leadership expresses itself through several virtues, ventures, and perpetual personal investment in others. So let's explore some of these outcomes or intended kingdom outcomes as it relates to personal lives and discipling others. Number one, it is the very idea. It expresses itself in discipleship. We lead people, not programs. And sometimes 
we are preoccupied with the nitty-gritties and logistics of Sunday services and programs and neglect the transformation that is needed in people for them to wholeheartedly serve Christ. We must not lead programs. We must facilitate programs. We must continually endeavor to pour our lives into others. And this is despite the discouraging and disheartening factors that we face as leaders. There'll be gossip, there'll be discouragement, there'll be sacrifices, there'll be no lack of acknowledgement, there'll be nothing. But even that tells you that what hurts us is the expectation of something that Christ never asked us to expect from others. He says, when we have done our duty, we should but say, I am a servant who has done what I needed to do. And so that is not to negate the responsibility of those we lead to the leaders, but to actually remember that we have not instructed them otherwise. So everybody should step in and stay in what Christ has mandated and instructed them to do. This kind of leadership, kingdom leadership, expresses itself through grace and authority. We live and lead in communities and a world that needs grace. But also we need to deal with wolves that are ravaging the sheep with the corruption that we see in the world. And so we need to walk in the authority of Christ. We cannot be cowardly gringers. We can't always be silenced. There has to be a point where we speak the mind of God prophetically about where our nations, our families, and our governments are going. We need compassion. Humans are fallen beings. Even when they stand, they still stagger. So sometimes we must not forget that when we look at the depravity of men, of all of us, we must not harshly judge. We must remember even those who think they are standing. It is by grace they stand, and even so, they still stagger. Kingdom leadership expresses itself through faith in adversity. Trials and tribulations can only but increase. Therefore, to exemplify faith that sustains and overcomes is an imperative for kingdom leadership. People have to see us not exemplifying perfection, but steadfast faith in the goodness of God and the finished work of the cross. We need to manifest this ability to pay the price for the cost of the kingdom. There is a cost to discipling the nations of the world. It may, and it is mostly financial, but it can also be deadly. Leaders must embrace the cost and teach others to do the same. This leadership expresses itself in total submission and surrender to the will of Christ 
The will of God is something we all desire, but mostly fear generally, because it goes counter to our ambitions. That is why it is solid counsel to tell ourselves, never allow your ambition to lead you away and far from the call of God for your life. And indeed, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus <laughs> but to trust and obey. We need to express unity and emancipation as kingdom leaders. We need to be unifiers, especially in countries like ours where there is proponent of racial discrimination from all sides. We must strive not only to unify, but to set people free. To set them free, not only spiritually, but to work harder to free them from whatever the enemy uses to enslave them back into darkness. I'm thrilled by what Jesus said when he spoke about his mission in Luke 4. From verse 18 to 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus speaking about these things, which he all did, he also, by implication, said something that is generally ignored. He said, I am the fulfillment of the acceptable year of the Lord, the day, the year of salvation, the jubilee of the, the, the Lord, the total emancipation from death, from oppression, from slavery of all people. So what Jesus basically says to kingdom leaders is, you cannot just preach the gospel to people. You need to attend to their economic needs, to the social reconstruction, to things that many of us would rather choose not to. We need to endeavor to see the fruition of the jubilee year of God's people that we preach to. Even so, the vengeance of the Lord will still come against his enemies in the future. We need to express sevenhood and value add to the lives of people. We must continually model the heart of sevenhood instead of entitlement. We must take time to add holistic value to individuals. For instance, when we have preached to people, we must ask ourselves, is there an opportunity to add value? Can I sponsor this child to, to go to school? Can I help this one to start up a business? Can I impart life skills to this individual or this community? We need to give what we can, time, resources, Whatever. When we are true 
servant that shields us from being exploited. We are like waiters. Waiters don't choose who do they serve. But if someone is invited, if someone has come into their place of service, they serve them. We need to express being led by the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to show that the Holy Spirit is not a phenomenon. He's a person, a person of the greatest importance in who we are and what we do. And that should be reflected in everything. The last point I want to address is what does kingdom leadership usher? What does it bring through? We are heralds. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of the kingdom of God, of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what that means is that wherever we go, we are aware that there are other kingdoms existing and therefore part of our mandate is to raise them out, to remove them, not to amalgamate ourselves with them. There is a great need to deliberately equip people of God for influence beyond the churches I've already alluded beyond the community of believers into the darkest and most vile parts of the world so that the eventuality of our work is clearly understood to ensure that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our, the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So, what we come against, what we know we will come against, is what we need to not only prepare ourselves to, to, to confront, but we need to prepare the people we are leading to confront. Number one, the kingdom of darkness. We already know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. But listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11:20, casting out demons. He says, "But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Therefore, kingdom leadership is always mindful of the necessity to engage forces of evil, not to play dead, not to play ignorant, not to be indifferent and nonchalant, but to know that there is a kingdom of darkness whose proponents are demonics that use human beings, and we should not turn a blind, a blind eye. We should." head on confront these demonic activities. In Colossians 1, 12 to 13, Paul writes, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us as into the kingdom of the sunny life. God has rescued us and we have an explicit mission to go and rescue others. We can do it covertly, we can do it overtly, but we must do it. We need to confront 
philosophies of the kingdom of this world, like humanism. No, man is not the center of his life. We need to tell people that man is too depraved to control himself. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul tells us that Jesus died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And in Titus, he tells us that Christ wants to purify for himself people that are eager to good works. We must confront all philosophies that seek to undermine God's rule. And so as kingdom leaders, let's find our true identity and let's identify with Christ is doing in and through us. Let's be clear in our intentions. Let's be vivid, mature, and vigorous in our expression of the kingdom of God. And let us usher unapologetically so the kingdom throughout the world and into the nations of the world. I want to pray for us. And I want us, just as we pray, to cast our minds back to Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Many of us have been preached to with regard to this particular portion of Scripture. Many of us have also preached about it. It was a perilous time when the Jews were, were facing annihilation. And Esther was encouraged by Mordecai to go to the king's exodus. It was a time of uncertainty, of fading hope, of fear and looming death. There was death looming over the Jews, but there was imminent death should Esther dare go into the king's presence without invitation. But it was also a time of courageous self-sacrificial and front-footed leadership, a time of breaking a typical leadership mode, a time of breaking customs that were established. But there was hesitancy, there was the reluctance, there was a sense of fear. And Mordecai sends these words to Esther. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows that you came for such a time as this. Acts 17 tells us that God has ordained the times and the places where we shall be so that we may seek him. He speaks to Jeremiah. He says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I appointed you because I already knew you. Paul speaks of an appointed time when God released him in his apostleship. So you and I and the people we are leading that we are raising into kingdom leadership, 
virtues. We are in the kingdom for the last days, regardless of what seems the odds against us. We are wired for victory. We are wired for end times. We are wired for times when there's pandemics, when there's hopelessness, when there's great falling away, when people are questioning whether being Christian is still a valid choice. We are wired to still stand and say, from the rising of the sun to the setting down of the same, Jesus is Lord. So won't you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that when the enemies seek to bring an onslaught against the church, when he seeks, Lord, to oppose, to stand against who we are and what you've called us to do, there is grace to stand fully armored, fully clothed in the weapons of righteousness. We stand knowing, Lord, that victory is guaranteed regardless of what seems apparent. I pray for your leaders. I pray for men and women, Lord, who are the vanguard and the front line of all this that is happening, who are facing fiery darts of the enemy, of discouragement, of, of all kinds, economic onslaught, diseases, all forms of attack. I pray that, Lord, you remind us that you have wired us as the righteous to be like Mount Zion that is unshakable and unmoved. May we be unmoved in our convictions about Jesus as Lord, in our mandate, Lord, that we may be clear in our hearts that whether we live or die, we belong to you. We carry your death in us, Lord. And we prefer nothing else but your will. We declare with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, not our will, but your will be done. So we pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in and through us, to your glory, through the empowering of the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends.